Psalms are so powerful. Specifically, we're going to be in the Psalms of Ascent, and I'm excited about studying this section of Scripture. How many of you got one of these survival guides on your way in? Did you get one of these this morning? How many of you did not get one? Can you raise your hand if you didn't get one? All right, we have a few. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, keep your hands up. We have the ushers pass these out. We want to make sure that everybody gets uh, these journals. It has a Bible reading schedule. And uh, this will take you through the book of Psalms in 42 days. And so as a church family, we're going to be reading through the book of Psalms this summer. And it also has many pages to take notes as well. And so I want to encourage you to utilize these books. And I hope that they'll be a blessing to you. And I'm looking forward to studying today. And uh, you can go ahead and find a seat this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. But I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. And we're going to be in Psalm chapter 120 this morning. And if you are ready to dive into God's word today, would you say amen? amen. Psalm 120. Most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. But I want to encourage you to have a Bible to follow along as we study this psalm together this morning. Psalm 120, let's start reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Aren't you thankful for that today? Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with them that hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. Far, far away. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, far, far away. We're going to be studying this psalm together. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together, to gather as your people. God, I pray that we would recognize the significance of what you're doing here and what you want to do through us. That the church is more than a building, it's a body. God, I pray that we would function as your hands and feet to reach a lost and dying world. God, I pray that we would have a broadened perspective perspective this morning to focus on the things that matter in all of eternity. And God, I pray that we would find strength for the inside today. I pray that we would find strength for our souls and uh, that you would use this series to speak to us, that you would use your word to speak to us. And God, I pray that we would lean in to the truth of your word. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say. And I pray that we can be challenged today. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... How many of you have ever felt 
far from home. Can I see your hands? You felt very far from home. I remember when I was in elementary, I was excited because my friend invited me to join his family and to go to SeaWorld one day. And this was right when the Arctic, the wild Arctic adventure ride uh, was opened up at SeaWorld. This was like 22 years ago. How many of you have been to SeaWorld and been a part of the wild Arctic ride? Anybody like that? And it's a great ride. And I think Unfortunately, it no longer exists. So if you haven't got to experience it, I'll have to tell you about it. And I was excited to ride this ride because it was this virtual simulator, and you fly on this flight across the Arctic, and when you land, it's supposed to feel as though you actually landed in Antarctica. When you walk out, the, the walls are all ice, and there's polar bears, and, and uh, it's like you're on a different planet, a uh, different world. And uh, my friend uh, actually thought, because his dad had convinced him that we actually went to Antarctica, so much so that he almost began to cry because he felt so far from home. And uh, he was so nervous that this was now his new home. This was his life. And he was certainly relieved to find out that we were still in San Diego. Uh, but for a moment, he felt very far from home, felt very far from where he wanted to be. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, so often we compare the Christian life to a journey. And if we're honest, there are many times when we feel very far from where we'd like to be. Many times we feel very far even from God. You ever been there? Felt distant in your relationship with God? Felt distant in your walk with God? Perhaps you are reading the word of God and you're trying to read the Bible, but you just don't know what God is trying to communicate to you and you feel far from God. Sometimes you might uh, be praying and you're trying to pray and be faithful in your walk with God and sending God prayers, but you just feel like uh, they're not quite getting up there and you feel as though God is a million miles away. And often, if we're honest, we can feel far from where God wants us to be or far from God in our walk with him. The psalmist felt this way. And so if you've ever felt this way, you're in good company. Uh, the psalmist felt this way many times in the book of Psalms in chapter 88, verse number 13. It says this, but unto thee have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent thee. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? God, why are you ignoring? Why are you rejecting my soul? God, where are you? He goes on to say, why hidest thou thy face from me? God, why are you hiding? Why do you feel distant? God, why, why do I feel like there is a gap and a space between us? Uh, even Jesus had feelings of being alone and abandoned. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the darkness covered the earth and Jesus was hanging on the cross as the sins of humanity were being poured upon Jesus? The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In that moment of exchange while Jesus hung on the cross, what did he shout? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even in that moment, Jesus knew what it felt like to be abandoned, to feel alone. And in that moment, he was quoting from the book of Psalms. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And maybe today you can relate. Maybe you feel as though you are distant in your walk with God. Maybe you feel like spiritually you are far from where you are supposed to be. And I just want to encourage somebody today because the Bible still says that if you draw nigh to God, he will, it's a promise, he will draw nigh to you. And I'm thankful today that the Bible says that if you seek him early, you can find him. In fact, the Bible puts it this way in Acts chapter 17, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him. You can't find him. Though 
he be not far from every one of us, that God is closer than you think this morning. And so today we're going to come to the book of Psalms, and uh, we uh, see that the psalmist here, he feels distant. He begins the psalm, and in the, in the psalm he feels as though he's in a distant, far, far away place. But I believe that in this psalm we learn how we can journey back into close proximity in our walk with God. And so the psalmist is going to give us direction and guidance. Now, uh, these psalms are known as the Psalms of Ascent, and uh, the Psalms of Ascent. Now, these are actually songs uh, that the Jewish people would sing on their journey back to Jerusalem. Three times a year, they would go to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us this in Deuteronomy 16, 16, that there was the Feast of the Tabernacles, there was the Feast of Passover, there was the Feast of Pentecost, and they would go and they would travel to Jerusalem singing these Uh, songs found in the Psalms of Ascent. And so if you've ever gone on a road trip and you put together a road trip playlist and you put all your songs together, like Life is a Highway, you know, you're singing all those songs. That is uh, what's taking place here in Psalm chapter 120 through Psalm 134. It's this road trip playlist as they travel to Jerusalem. Now, additionally, uh, Jerusalem is 2,800 feet above sea level. And so really, no matter what direction you are coming from, you are ascending up to Jerusalem. And so these are the Psalms of Ascent. And I believe believe that these psalms serve as a survival guide for our soul, that they help us find strength on the inside. You know, often uh, we understand that it's important to take care of ourselves physically. Uh, I don't enjoy particularly always going to the doctor, uh, but uh, every uh, year I will make sure that I go and I uh, partake in my checkup and I go to the physical because I want to be a good steward of the body that God has given me and I want to uh, have a, uh, be a good steward for my family and for my wife and for our church. And so I'll go for a physical checkup and that makes sense to us physically. But why is it that often we don't do the same spiritually? That we can go weeks and months and sometimes years without taking a look within and asking, how am I, how's my soul? How am I doing spiritually? And running some spiritual diagnostic uh, questions to see how we're doing on the inside. By the way, the Bible tells us that we should think about this. The Bible says this in, in 3 John verse number 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. And so John was saying, I'm praying that you would be in good health. I'm praying that, you, that, that, that this letter finds you in good health and you're doing well physically. But then he says this, just as your soul prospers. And so he's saying, just as your soul is healthy, I'm praying that you would be in good health physically, but I'm praying that your soul would prosper and that you would be in good health spiritually. By the way, the implication of that verse is until your soul is healthy, nothing else can be truly healthy. Because you can have it all put together on the outside. You can have a nice house, a nice car. You can have a lot of friends. You can have a good career and a good financial standing. But on the inside, you can still be at war with your soul. And you can still be struggling to find peace, still be struggling to find fulfillment, still be struggling to find contentment. And there's this war that is often uh, waged within. And so today we look to Psalm 120, and we're going to take a look within. Now, Uh, It's very important that we understand the significance of the book of Psalms. Everybody still with me so far by way of introduction? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talked about how uh, impactful the Psalms are. This is what he said. He said, in the ancient church, it was not unusual to memorize the entire David. In one of the eastern churches, this was a prerequisite for pastoral office. The church father, St. Jerome, says that one heard the psalms being sung in the field and gardens in his time. The Psalter uh, impregnated the life of early Christianity. Yet more important than all of this is the fact that Jesus died on the cross with the Psalter on his lips. Jesus quoted from the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. And, And I just happen to believe that if these verses are important to Jesus, then they should be important to us. 
And so we ought to take a look within. And, and so uh, whenever the Psalter is abandoned, an incomparable treasure vanishes from the Christian church. With its recovery will come unsuspected power. And I just love that thought. I'm hoping that in this series that we can tap into some unsuspected power and we can find strength for our souls through uh, the book of Psalms. And so I'm looking forward to diving in. Now, I'll be honest with you up front. Whenever you're dealing with your soul, it's surgical by nature. Often it hurts before it heals. And so as we take a look within, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes we're going to be stretched, and sometimes it's going to bring about conviction. And this psalm, even though it's a song that's been sung, it's not particularly upbeat. There's not a lot of percussion. Uh, there's not a lot of even uh, seemingly joy uh, found in this psalm, but it's very necessary. And it's so important, and it has a, a great purpose for us to take a look within. And this, this song helps us begin this journey to get back in close proximity with God. And so if you're taking notes today, I want to give us four ways that we can navigate this journey of life and that we can get closer in our walk with God. Would that be all right this morning? Four ways if you, if you want to jot these down. Number one is this. You have to see the lies. You want to have a healthy soul? Want to find strength from within? See the lies. Now, I want to start in verse number two. Notice what the Bible says. He says, deliver my soul. God, I'm interested in having a free soul. Deliver my soul. Set me free, O Lord. What? From what? From lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Now, most commentators believe that it's David that's writing this psalm and that he's referring to an incident in his life that we read about in 1 Samuel where there was a wicked and evil man named Doeg that was lying about David and slandering his name. And so David was in a place where he was being lied about. He was being slandered against. In Psalm 52, verse number 2, David said this, The tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. And so David knew what it was like to be lied about. He knew what it was like to be slandered. Now, this morning, you might not have someone that is lying about you, but make no mistake about it, there is a society that is lying to you. And we have to recognize today that there are lies being permeated in our culture, and we see them taking place all around us. And so often the reason that our soul is struggling from within is because we have acclimated and acquiesced to the lies of the culture. And we are living according to lies. I was reading recently that the world's leading agent in lie detection and deception is a man named Dr. Timothy Levine. And he spent his entire career and hundreds of hours uh, talking and interviewing to police officers and CIA agents. And his conclusion is, throughout all of his research, is that even the most intelligent human beings are terrible at lie detection. And he wrote this whole book and has this whole theory called the truth default theory. And he says that we assume someone is telling us the truth unless there is sufficient evidence to prove otherwise. And so, in other words, even if you think that you are very astute to someone telling you the truth and you are very astute to the falsehoods that you see in life today, here's what we have to realize. We are easily lied to. That we are easily influenced by the surroundings that are around us. David Benner said this. He's a psychiatrist. He said, it is not so much that we tell lies. Watch this. It's not so much that we tell lies. It's that we live them. Think about that for a second. What does that mean? That we, that we live lies. That we live lies. For example, if you believe the lie that you are unlovable, that will shape your behavior. And before time, you will start living as though you are unlovable until that falsehood becomes a reality. We will live according to lies. If you believe the lie that it's your body and you can do whatever you want with your body, rather than recognizing the truth of God's word, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and belongs to God, if you believe that lie, you will live accordingly. Why? Because belief always affects your behavior. 
And so we have to be very careful in our walk with God that we are not acquiescing to the culture and living according to lies. And so often we're struggling from within because we've, we've believed the lie and now we're living a lie. Uh, John 8, 44 says this, you are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth. And so uh, Satan does not dwell within truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. In other words, when the devil speaks a lie, he's speaking his native tongue. Uh, that, that, that's his language. Why? For he is a liar and the father of it. Now, in ancient culture, when you were the father of something, that meant that you were the originator of something. And so uh, Satan is the father of lies. He's the originator of lies. Make no mistake about it. This has been his strategy since day one. To lie, to distort the truth. Yea, hath God said did God really say you couldn't eat of that tree? I don't know if that's what he meant. I think you probably can have some of that fruit and it'll be totally fine. And uh, all is good. Uh, Satan has always attempted to distort the truth. And I don't know if you've noticed, but in our culture today, it's becoming more and more difficult to ascertain the truth. Have you noticed this? Uh, we live in a culture where we're constantly, constantly being fed with a stream of, of lies and falsehoods. Uh, recently, there's been an uprise in what's called deep fakes. How many of you are familiar with a deep fake? Anybody? Uh, deep fake is, is uh, when there is someone that looks exactly like another person or through a computer-generated image, uh, someone will pretend to be someone else. Uh, um, a real popular one right now is Tom Cruise, and uh, he has a deep fake, and I think we have a picture. Now, this is not Tom Cruise. This is, some, this is called TikTok Tom Cruise because he sounds exactly like him and looks exactly like him. And uh, for a while, people were wondering, what in the world is Tom Cruise doing here? And there was a lot of confusion that took place. Uh, a few months ago, there was a big uproar because Mark Zuckerberg went online and there was a video of him speaking, and he was bragging about how he has stolen the personal information of billions of people. And he was bragging about this, and of course, people were very upset about this. Come to find out, it was a deep fake, and it was a computer-generated image. It wasn't actually him talking. And uh, there's been deep fakes of Obama, of Putin, and it makes it very difficult to ascertain what is truth. It's kind of a scary thought to realize when you scroll through your phone, you are scrolling through a minefield of lies. There are deep fakes, there is misinformation, there is disinformation, there are falsehoods, there are lies, there is propaganda, and we have to understand that the culture is surrounding us with lies. E even military experts understand this. Conventional wars of the past are becoming obsolete, where, where you would once fight a battle with a tank, now you're fighting with a tweet because of the information that is so readily available. And we have to take a step back and ask, okay, am I holding on to the truth? Am I understanding uh, what the lies are that are being told unto me? This is so vitally important. It's why Jesus said in Mark 4:24, and he said unto them, take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. Be very careful about the information that you are receiving and the information that you are responding to. Now, what was David's response to this falsehood? Notice it in verse number one. Everybody still with me today? Everybody doing okay? Notice verse number one. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord. So what was his response to the distress and the deception that he found himself in? His response was to pray. He said, you know what, I, I don't know what is truth, and people are lying about me and slandering my name, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I love at the end of verse number one, it says, and he heard me. I'm so thankful that we sang about that this morning, that God answers prayers. Aren't you thankful for that? Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet, but you can take it to the bank. God always answers prayers, and he is faithful to hear us. Now, uh, where are we going to turn 
when we're struggling, when we're being deceived, when we're trying to navigate what is truth, uh, where will we turn? If you look to the very next chapter in the Psalms of Ascent, if you have your Bible open, if you look to the very next chapter in Psalm 121, that's what he asks. That's the question. Notice it. In Psalm 121, verse number one, he says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? He says, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where I can find truth. I'm trying to figure out where I can find help. Should I look to the hills? Should I look to the mountains? Now, in this culture, in ancient culture, many times the mountains or the hills, that was the place where false worship was taking place. That's where the idols were. And so it's as if the psalmist is saying, is that where I'm going to find my help? Where all the idols are, where the culture is, is telling me what I'm to worship? I wonder today, take a look within. Where are you looking for help? Is it a bottle? Hills? More relationships? Where are we looking for help? Uh, the psalmist says, where am I going to find my help from? Is it in the hills? Is it in the mountains? From whence cometh my help? The very next verse, he says this in verse number two. He says, my help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. No, it's not the mountains. It's the one that created the mountains, the creator God of the universe. Can I encourage you today? When you are struggling, when you are hurting, don't look to what the world has to offer. It's not in the mountains. It's to the very one that created the mountains, the creator God of the universe. That is where our help is from. That is where we should look to when we're hurting, when we're trying to find truth. Are we going to look to Twitter? Are we going to look to the hills, to Instagram? Where will we look? My help comes from the Lord. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Can I tell you today that we need to look to the word of God, that we need to look to God's word to understand what it is we're hearing. Now, first of all today, we have to see the lies. David said, man, lies are surrounding. And then he says this, number two. He says, hold the truth. And so number two today, hold the truth. So not only do we have to see the lies, that's, that's step number one. We have to acknowledge, okay, there's lies being circulated today. Lies that are distorting the truth. And then once we understand the truth, then we hold on to it. Katie, can you throw me that football for a second? Great throw, Katie. And uh, I've been teaching my son uh, a lot about uh, catching. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we've been playing catch back and forth. And, and uh, he's a good, he's got a good arm and he loves to throw. Uh, but when it comes to catching, I'm trying to get him to be more consistent. And so, um, you know, we'll play games, and I'll say, Luke, you got to catch 10 in a row. And if you drop one, we've got to start over. And if we're playing baseball, I'm trying to tell him constantly, hey, when you catch that ball, secure it with your other hand. I'm trying to get, uh, get him to understand when you, when you catch the ball to secure it, to hold on tight to it. And a lot of times what we do is we, we hear the truth or we acknowledge the truth, but then we just let it slip. We don't return to it. And in fact, Winston Churchill has an interesting quote. He said this, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. Yeah, sometimes we kind of trip over the truth. Coming to church on a Sunday morning, needed that. Going to a small group, yeah, that was for me. I should, I should do that differently. And we hear the truth, but often we are hearers of the word, but we're not doers of the word. And so we have to be very careful that we don't just see the lies, but then we hold on to the truth. Now, in the Bible, we have a lot of responsibilities in relationship to the truth. We are commanded to speak the truth. We're commanded to love truth. We're commanded to walk in truth. And so we have a great relationship. In fact, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. <laughs> and so we have to recognize that we have a responsibility to the truth. Now, notice how the psalmist knew where to find truth. Uh, he says this in verse number one. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord. Everybody say the Lord. 
Then in verse 2, he says, deliver my soul, O Lord. And so twice he mentions the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew word is Jehovah. Twice he mentions the one true God. And as soon as the word Lord is uttered, there's a stark contrast between the lies of the world and the truth. Because Jehovah, the Lord, is truth. You know, what, what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way and the truth. He said, I am the truth. Jesus is truth personified. Therefore, any other truth claims that are made in the world today must be evaluated from the source of truth, Jesus Christ. So anyone, anytime someone makes a truth claim, we have to come to God's word. Okay, is this, does this align with God's word? Uh, John Bailey said this, I am sure that the bit of the road that requires to be uh, illuminated is the point where it forks. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying where we need the most guidance, where we need the most light, is when there's a decision to be made, when there's a fork in the road. And today, if your soul is struggling and if you want strength for your soul, you have to recognize there's a fork in the road. Will you hold the truth or will you live the lies? This is the decision that we have to make. Charles Spurgeon said this, if you want the truth to go around the world, you must hire an express train to pull it. But if you want a lie to go around the world, it will fly. It is light as a feather and a breath will carry it. So in other words, we have to be intentional about holding the truth because if you are not intentional about holding the truth, you will inadvertently believe the lie. And so we have to be intentional about this. Now, notice how the psalmist goes on in verse number three. Everybody still with me? Verse 3, what shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? And so he asks a good question here. He says, what's going to happen to those that are speaking lies? What's going to happen to those that are being deceptive and that are sowing seeds of deception? What's going to happen to those people? He says, what's, what's going to be done to them? Notice verse number 4. Here's the response. Uh, verse 4 is a verse of judgment. He says, he says, sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Now, it's interesting in Scripture that our words are often compared to arrows and that we can shoot arrows at people with negative words and with hurtful words and with lies and deception. And so essentially what he's saying is those that have used their words as sharp arrows to hurt other people will in return have arrows fired at them. In other words, you will reap what you sow. If you sow seeds of deception, you will reap that deception. It's kind of like what we see with Jacob. In the Old Testament, remember Jacob in the Old Testament, uh, he deceived his father, he deceived Esau to receive the family birthright. How many of you remember that story, right? And uh, he deceived his family, and uh, the name Jacob means deceiver. And so Jacob deceived his family, and then he went on, and he traveled on with his life, and he met a beautiful girl named Rachel, and he wanted to marry her, and so he worked seven years so that he could marry Rachel, and then on his wedding night, the, the, the wicked, evil uncle Laban swapped out Rachel, and instead of uh, marrying Rachel on his wedding night, he was confused, and because of, uh, he was drunk, he ended up marrying Leah, uh, Rachel's sister. He was deceived by Laban. In other words, he sowed those seeds of deception, and then he reaped that deception. The Bible says this in Proverbs 26, verse number 27, whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein. If you dig the pit, you'll fall in. And he that rolls a stone, it will return upon him. You reap what you sow. And so that's what we see uh, taking place in this verse. And so he says, uh, he says, sharp arrows of the mighty. And then he says this. Notice it in verse 3. Verse 4, excuse me. He says, with coals of juniper. So what does that mean? Well, in this culture, they would have recognized and understood that coals of juniper were used to make fires, and that particular coal would produce long-lasting fires. It would burn for a really long time. And so this speaks to the duration of the judgment. With coals of juniper, this is going to last a long time. And it's a sobering reminder for us today that all those that reject Jesus Christ as their Savior 
they will live forever, for a long time, separated from God in a terrible place called hell. And this is a sobering reminder for us today. The Bible says it this way in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this is a sobering reminder of God's judgment. And so what are these verses? Verses 3 and 4. They are a warning to the wicked. They're a warning to the wicked that if you reject Jesus Christ, you will spend forever in eternity without him. If you reject Jesus Christ, it's a warning to the wicked, but then it's reassurance for the righteous. And here's the reassurance for the righteous, that God will judge and that God will take care of the wicked. And I hope that this provides a little bit of encouragement for your soul today, because as we look around the world and as we see all of the wickedness that is taking place and all the vile and perverse uh, nature of the things that we see in our world, the, the, the wickedness and the evil that we see, God will judge the wicked. We have to understand today that it's not our job to judge the wicked. It's our job to hold on to the truth. The Bible says this in James, that there is one lawgiver who is able to kill and to destroy. And newsflash, that's not us. That's the one true God. And so what we see in these verses, it's a warning to the wicked. Don't reject Christ and, and don't reject the truth of God's word. But it's also reassurance for the righteous that God will make all the wrongs right. And that he is in control today. And that he will have the last word. Aren't you thankful that our God is always in control? Even when evil is abounding, God will have the last word. And so we see that we have to see the lies and then we... Hold on to the truth. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 23. And uh, Dana, if you can come up here for a second. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 23. It says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. We have to hold fast. Now, in football, if you are running with the ball, you don't want to run casually or loosely with the ball, right? You want to make sure that it's secured because you don't want to fumble that ball. Uh, like on Remember the Titans, PD kept on fumbling the ball, right? Don't drop the ball, PD. And so if Daniel is going to be running with the ball and the ball represents truth, as soon as there is a, a falsity or a falsehood in the world today or a plausible sounding argument like Colossians chapter 2 talks about, we're going to be holding on to the truth. But as soon as one lie comes, we fumble the truth and we start to live the lie. Take your time, Rakia. We're all waiting for you to get it back to us. Thank you so much. And so we want to make sure that we are holding on to the truth. And so when you're running uh, with a football, Dana, let me see a really strong uh, a stance holding on to the football. There you go. And so you want to make sure that you are protecting that ball. And as we live the Christian life, we want to make sure that we are holding fast to the profession of our faith. And so that when the lies of the enemy comes and says, hey, you can just do whatever you want and trust your heart and trust your feelings, he's going to hold on to it. And when the enemy tries to trip you up and to distort the truth and say, hey, follow me, you're going to hold fast to the profession of your faith. Does anybody believe today that there ought to be some Christians and some followers of Jesus that are going to hold on tight to what we believe. We're going to see the lies. We're going to hold the truth. Hold fast to the profession of your faith. Why? For he is faithful, that promise. I'm thankful for God's faithfulness. We see the lies. We hold the truth. Here's the third thought today. Number three, you ready for it? We have to get unsettled. We see the lies. We hold the truth. Then we get unsettled. Now, Notice it in verse number five. He says, woe is me that I sojourn, that I travel in Meshech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. This is where the psalmist feels far, far away. This is where he feels like he's in a distant land. He feels very, very far from home. My parents this past week, they were 
for the past couple of weeks, they've been overseas. They've been in Egypt hosting a, a pastor's conference there. And on the way back, they flew from Egypt into Dubai. And they were getting ready to get on a plane and come back home when my mom tested positive for COVID. And so if you can pray for her. But they would not let her leave the country. They won't let her even leave her hotel room. And so my mom and dad are in Dubai, and they're stuck. And they've been there for more than 10 days just waiting for my mom to get a negative test so that they can return back home. And I talked to my dad on the phone a couple of days ago, and he said, he said, Matt, we feel so far from home. He said, it's a 16-hour flight, and we just feel like we're on the other side of the world, and we just feel so far from where we want to be. And I think that emotion, that feeling is what the psalmist is expressing here. He says, how long am I going to sojourn in the, the, the land of Meshech and, and Kedar? Now, these are in two different places. Meshech is modern-day Turkey, and, and Kedar is an Arabian desert. And so he can't be in two places at once. And so he's not talking about the physical place, but he's metaphorically speaking about being surrounded by heathen people and by pagan people and being surrounded by people that don't think like he does and don't believe uh, like he does. And he says, man, I'm surrounded by these people, and I just feel so far from home. What, what's, the, what's the emotion that he's expressing? He's homesick. And I believe every follower of Jesus should be homesick for heaven. Can I just remind you today that this world is not our home? We act like it is so often. We settle in, we get comfortable, we try to find the perfect utopian society where everyone believes like us and everyone thinks like us. But I just want you to know that the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 14, for here we have no continuing city, meaning here we have no permanent city, but we seek one to come. What is the city to come? Heaven. Heaven is our home. Uh, Paul talked about how he had this, this, this homesickness for heaven, how he desired to be in heaven. He said this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. He said, for I am in a strait betwixt two. He said, man, I'm in a pickle, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul said, man, I'm here on earth, and I'm doing the work of the Lord, but my heart is in heaven. I want to be with Christ. By the way, all of us that are followers of Jesus, that claim to be followers of Jesus, we should have a desire for heaven. We should have a hope and a thought process about heaven. And if we never think about heaven and we never give heaven a thought, then we have to truly take a look within and ask, is heaven my home? Because there should be a desire for us to see Jesus face to face. There should be a desire to be in that place where there is no more sorrow, no more pain. There should be a desire to be in that place where we have our glorified body. When, when, when we are in a state of perfection, is anybody looking forward to that day? But right now, we're just traveling through. Right now, the Bible says that we're strangers and pilgrims. And the psalmist says, man, I'm surrounded by people that don't think like me, that don't believe like me. It's almost like, man, I live in California. So often we think, man, I'm in, I'm in a place where people don't think like me, people don't believe like me. Uh, has God ever spoken to you? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe God has you right where you are for a purpose, for a season, to be a missionary, to reach people with the gospel message? The last time I checked, the gospel is still working. Last time I checked, Jesus is still transforming marriages and transforming lives. The power of the gospel is still at work, even in a place like California. And I just happen to believe that God has called us here for such a time as this. And so, no, I'm not going to get comfortable. No, I'm going to get unsettled, recognize that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through, and I have a desire and a homesickness for heaven, and I want to bring as many people as I can with me. And so if you feel as though, man, sometimes I feel out of place, and I'm surrounded by people that don't think like me, maybe that's a good thing. And tell those people about Jesus, and tell them about the hope that you have found, 
and ask God to do a transforming work in their lives. And so, so often what we do is we settle in, and rather than stand apart, we colonize to the culture. We acclimate to the culture around us. The Anabaptists, they used to have this, they used to have this term for the church that I like. Uh, they used to call the church an alternative society. And what they were saying is, is that we are to be set apart. We are to be different from the world. Did you know that? That we are to be in the world but not of the world? In fact, the very Greek word for church is this word ekklesia. It means a called out assembly that we are to be distinct, that we are to be called out, that we're not to blend in, that we're not to conform to the culture, not to colonize to the culture, uh, but we are to stand out and to commit uh, to God's will and to the local church, that, that we are to unite together as the church, even when we are surrounded by people that don't think like us, that don't believe like us. No, uh, we unite as, as the church. And so often we drift from God's plan. We drift from the church. And we fail to walk in this kind of unity. By the way, uh, sometimes there's a, there's a misconception when it comes to unity in the church. Unity does not mean uniformity. Uh, unity does not mean that we all look alike, that we all act alike, that we come from the same background. Uh, unity does not mean that we all dress alike, that we all think alike. Uh, this is not uh, what uh, unity in the church looks like. The Bible says that there will be uh, people from every tongue, every tribe, every kindred that, that comprise the church of God. Hey, hey, listen today. Uh, we are not united by our similarities. We are united by our Savior. And so we unite under the banner of Jesus Christ, and we recognize that, that as the church, that we are called out assembly, and we are to stand united and distinct from the world that is around us. So can I encourage you, get unsettled. We are not meant to find the perfect utopian society here and now. We are meant to live with an eternal perspective of there and then. And here, uh, we do our best to reach people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And so we see the lies, we hold the truth, we get unsettled, and then here's the fourth thought. You have one more in you today? Yes, Last one is this. We pursue peace. Now, I want you to see how this chapter closes in Psalm 120, in verse number six. He says, my soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. My soul has been surrounded by people that hate peace. Then he says this in verse number seven. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You can sense the frustration there. Like, I'm for peace. How many of you can relate to that? Like, I'm for peace. I want rest in my soul. I want there to be peace, but I'm surrounded by people that just want to fight. They want war. It's interesting. The word, the word peace is the word shalom. It's not just talking about the absence of conflict. It's talking about there being, there being health and, and wholeness to your life, that you have a, a peace on the inside. It's interesting in the Hebrew. It says, it literally reads this way in the Hebrew. I am peace. They are war which is an interesting juxtaposition that you can either be a battlefield or you can be a blessing. You can be a troublemaker or you can be a peacemaker. I am peace, they are war. Now, this doesn't mean we don't stand for truth. Refer back to point number two. We hold the truth, but then we recognize that God has called us to speak the truth in love and we pursue that peace. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five and verse number nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The Bible says this in Psalm 34, verse number 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace. Everybody say, seek peace. Seek peace and pursue it. And so we are to seek after peace, to pursue peace. If you want to experience rest in your soul and a healthy soul, we have to recognize that we're called to see the lies, 
hold the truth, get unsettled, pursue peace. Now, as we close today, I want us to see how this psalm ultimately points us to Jesus. Because all of the Bible is about one person, Jesus. You believe that today? J.I. Packer said this, whatever else in the Bible catches your eye, do not let it distract you from him. The ultimate point of the Bible is to look to the person of Jesus. Today, you've got a survival guide. I hope you got one. On the front, there's a compass. And I want you to know that all of the Bible is a compass that points to the true north of Jesus Christ. So all of the Bible is pointing to one person, Jesus. Be very careful that you don't start to just put yourself as the hero of the story when you read specifically Old Testament narratives. Like, man, I just want to be strong like Samson. I want to be brave like Gideon. No, we are not to put ourselves in the story to make ourselves the hero of the story because there's only one hero of the story. It's Jesus. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. All the Bible is about one person, Jesus. And so as we consider even this psalm, we recognize that it points us to Jesus. If anyone knew what it was like to be slandered against, if there was anyone that knew what it was like to be surrounded by lies, it was Jesus. If there was anyone that felt, uh, knew what it felt like to be abandoned and far from home, it was Jesus. He came into his own, his own received him not. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. If there was anybody that knew about peace, it's certainly Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace, the author of peace. And so we see that this psalm ultimately points us to our hope, to the truth, to the person of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. And I want to close with one verse in Romans. And as I read this verse, I want to encourage you to join me in standing this morning. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5 in verse number 1. Everybody with me today? Don't miss this verse. It says this. Therefore, being justified by faith. Justified. The word justified means to be declared righteous. When you stand before a holy God, uh, you must be declared righteous, not based on your own righteousness, because our own righteousness is as filthy rags. But we can be justified. Uh, think of it this way. Just as if I'd never sinned. Better, just as if I'd never been a sinner. We stand justified. How can we stand justified before a holy God? By faith. It's not by works. It's not by being religious, being a good person. It's by faith. Then he says this. We have peace with God. Is anybody interested in having peace with God? Peace with God. How is that possible? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you feel this morning as though you are distant from God. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe you feel like, man, I'm far from where I'm supposed to be. How can I get close to God, the one that created me? How can I feel that close proximity? There is one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. The only way that you can have peace with God is through his son, Jesus. He says, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access. I love that word, access. Everybody wants access in life, right? If you go to a special place, if you go to a concert or a sporting event, we all want that special access. We want that special badge that lets us go into a different entrance. We want that access. How do we have access to a holy God? Through his son, Jesus. He made a way when there was no way. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. 
We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, today can be the day of salvation for you. Because the only way to draw nigh to God and become close to God is to receive him as your savior. If you've never done that, today can be the day of salvation for you. If you have accepted Christ today and you feel that you are distant from God, perhaps because of sin or because of a trial or a season that you're in, claim the promise that if you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. And that the presence of God is not about a feeling, it's about faith. Sometimes we think, man, I don't feel close to God. Well, our feelings lie to us. The presence of God doesn't always feel like a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not always the supernatural presence of God. Sometimes it is. But you're not always going to feel it. That's why the Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. But I want to encourage you to claim that promise. To seek God. Those that seek him will find him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.